Although this is said right, the Jewish man, that's Meshuggah for Yeshua. That means crazy for Jesus. My guest, Chris Dupre, and I have to tell you, uh, Chris, I'm really looking forward to this interview because many, many years ago when I was uh, a new believer in the Messiah, I got a prophecy. And the prophecy was that my destiny in God was to walk in the God kind of love. And I believe I'm going to personally benefit from this interview. Now, uh, the Mishpucha, the family, don't know what we're talking about yet, but they will very soon. Uh, because if you have not heard about the wild love of God, you're about ready to move into, I believe, this is the destiny. And as a matter of fact, I'm reminded of a prophet that's now in heaven. And uh, he, he would walk around and he would say, did you learn to love? Did you learn to love? Because that is the whole purpose. Did you learn to love in this walk? And I'm asking those that are listening, did you learn to love? Well, you sure started with the opposite of that. Uh, your father was a World War II hero, a bombardier. Um, he, he was a POW in Germany, badly abused, and he had a post-traumatic uh, stress uh, syndrome way before we even knew what it was. Um, he he uh, went to college. He got married uh, to your mother, had a family. But why did he pick you for abuse, Chris? Wow. Well, that was a question I used to ask myself all the time. But uh, I, I realized as time went on, I, I was the third of three kids. My sister, being a girl, she got some verbal abuse and very little bit of, of the physical. My brother was a year older and had a blood disease, so he spent most of his time in the hospital. So I think my dad just looked at him as, as weak. And then a year later, I came along, and I was a strong, healthy boy. And I uh, became kind of his whipping post over time. Uh, father to me was was not a word that I liked. And I, I did, did you think, you know, it seems to me, did you just think this was normal? I mean, you had no you had nothing to compare it to. No, I thought it was absolutely no. I thought this is as a matter of fact, a few of my friends fathers were very similar or they were uh, alcoholics or womanizers. So I just thought that, you know, this is fathers do what they want to do, and and kids just go along for the ride, depending on what the dad is like. So so you would be constantly bruised. Why didn't your mom see this? Oh, I was a very active little boy. I was constantly climbing trees, falling down from here, doing this. And, and so uh, I played every sport known to man and was constantly... Uh, even normally bruised. So I probably had as many normal bruises as I had uh, from my own dad. So nothing seemed abnormal to her uh, because nothing happened physically in front of her. She would hear the verbal abuse. But well, well, well your, your dad became a high school history teacher and uh, you were just a young kid and you walked in one day, uh, I guess, to school and you saw the way he acted in front of the other uh, uh, of his students and how loving he was. And uh, uh, what did you think? I was in kindergarten. Our class, we lived in a small town, K through 12. So I went by his classroom, looked through the window and saw him sitting at the desk 
with dangling his feet. He's laughing. The kids are laughing. And I just stood there dumbfounded. And the teacher said, come along. You've seen your dad. And I looked at her and I said, I've never seen him like this. And I was five years old. I'd never seen my father joyful, interacting with young people uh, and having so much fun. And I kind of realized I had two dads. There were two people living inside that body. So one day your mom walked in and saw the physical abuse. What did she see? I was flying across the kitchen floor. Uh, we were living at my grandmother's. My father couldn't, um, he loved his job, but uh, was not responsible for taking care of the bills. So I lived in about 10 or 11 places by the time I was eight years old. And this was uh, the second to the last. We were doing another stop at my grandmother's house. She walked in the back door and uh, saw me literally just flying across the floor and realized what she thought, as she said later on, what I thought was true. And then shortly thereafter, we moved out and moved about an hour away. And it was an amazing... I remember crying, walking home after school, walking in the house, and Mom was there. She was baking chocolate chip cookies. And I stood there and I cried because I knew I was safe. Hmm. Well, you, you, as you said, you played every sport in town. High school, you're a big jock. That's your whole identity. And then you get injured. Yeah. That, that must have uh, crushed your world. It was. I had I had two full rides to, to two prestigious schools for track. And uh, their desire was, because I did so many events well, um, I was breaking college records when I was 16. They wanted me to do the decathlon and went, went to... Uh, was going to the States and ended up jumping into the back end of a pit that they never raked out because high school kids don't jump that far, but I did. My left foot landed on a rock and exploded. Matter of fact, it made, it made such a loud pop that my coach, who was 100 yards away, heard it and turned and ran because he heard a pop that sounded like a gunshot go off. And that was it. My scholarships went away, and I just sunk into a depression. Um, how bad did it get? Oh, gosh. I, I, I went away to college after that, and literally, I'm, this is something I would never speak of in a, in a, in a way to, to, to make it sound more than it was. I just sunk literally every day except one. I was either drunk or stoned or high on something in college, and by the end of my one year of college, I couldn't go back because my brain was fried but the, all that came out of my identity was wrapped in uh, what I was doing physically. And when that was pulled away, uh, I felt I had nothing else. And all I could do was, was drink or do drugs. And I did them hard. Well, simultaneous with all the, the, the uh, you spiraling down to the bottom, um, I mean, you were drugs every, on every day. Your uh, sister, your mother, your brother get rat and I mean, not just saved. They get radically saved. So, Chris, tell me about the time uh, you're sitting in the backseat of a car with your sister. Uh, your roommate is driving and you're, uh, you and your roommate are totally stoned. Uh, and your sister starts talking to you about tongues and prophecy. What did you think? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the first thing she told me is that she'd just gotten married to a prince. I just said, what? You didn't tell me? You didn't tell the family? And she took my hand. She said, I just married Jesus, the Prince of Peace. 
Well, <laughs> my roommate, his head shoots over, and he looks in the mirror, and I look at him, and we try not to laugh. And then she goes, no, it's real. And then she said, not just that, but I speak in tongues now. And I remember going to church years ago, and once a year they talk about Pentecost and tongues. And I said, so like like that Pentecost thing? And she goes, yeah. And I said, well, speak in tongues for me. And she goes, no, no, I, it's, it's a prayer language. I, and then she says, not just that, I prophesy. And I just, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, what, what, what is it, like Gene Dixon? Do you do it? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's just God. It's God speaking. And, and, and the kicker for me was I just said, so what's he sound like when he talks through you? And he, she said, well, he sounds like me. At which point I, I looked at her and I said, I don't want that, a God that sounds like my sister. And she kind of laughed and I laughed and, and that was it. And I, we dropped her off. It was a five-minute drive. We dropped her off. He got out of the car. I started to get out of the car. And I heard the voice in the back seat that said, everything your sister just told you is true. And I whipped around and looked, and Mike, my, my, my buddy, was already 10, 15 feet away. And I, I just was looking around, and I heard the, that same thing again, that everything she said is true. And I remember closing the car door. The... No, but, but wait, wait, wait a second. Uh, you know, you're stoned. Uh, you probably hear all sorts of voices when you're stoned. Uh, but here, the thing was, the second I closed the car door, everything that had affected me physically to get me to a place of being, everything went away and I was sober as could be. And was this voice audible or inside of you? Audible. 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 I thought there was somebody else in the back seat. Huh. Okay, so so uh, everything is true. So what happened next? Well, I, I watched my mother and my brother and my sister, and they were all loving, and they were all different, and they all talked about Jesus, but none of them, none of them tried to uh, throw it down my throat. Um, but every everything was was changed. In- but wait, 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 wait a second now. <laughs> they don't have to throw it down your throat. God spoke to you. He said what they were saying is true. Why didn't you jump? <laughs> Why didn't I jump? Yeah. Well, the, the idea of, of marrying the prince and speaking <laughs> in tongues was not the most inviting thing for me at that point in my life. I was like, uh, okay, it's true, but it's true for her. But it wasn't true for me. Actually, I, I, I saw it through my brother. My brother and I fought all the time. Suddenly, he was different. He was kind. He was gentle. He was loving. And that was one of the main things that really brought me to Jesus. Well, well, your sister decides, I mean, she's really pestering you, and, and she decides to lead you in a prayer of salvation. And to get, get her off your back, you actually said the prayer? I did. My, my best friend in high school, all through school, matter of fact, I know this kid from kindergarten. He gets, uh, that night, that night, I get up to get ice cream. I come back with ice cream for him and for myself. My sister is praying the prayer of salvation with him in my living room. I said, what are you doing? It's, it's kind of like, you know, don't take him away too. And, and so I, I went to my room, went to bed, and she came in. And she said, it's time. It's your time. And I just, just to get her off my back, I just said, okay, let's pray. And she said, pray this prayer. If you don't agree with it, don't pray it. If you do, pray it. So just to, I just wanted to go to bed. And I prayed the prayer with her, and boy, was I shocked. My whole body got covered with goosebumps. I felt the presence of God move from outside of me to inside of me. And uh, I, I knew instantly I was a changed person.
uh, what about the drugs? You said you had to have them all the time. Oh, I never, I didn't want them anymore. Uh, that was the main. Well, what about withdrawal? With no desire for drugs. I woke up the next morning, no desire to drink. As a matter of fact, one of the things I didn't even say was uh, being an athlete, being out there. I had a, I had a, a mouth like a sailor. And I woke up, there was, I couldn't swear if I wanted to. And that's, I know it sounds bizarre, but that was one of the main things. I knew something so internal had happened that it even affected my language and how I spoke. So, so you hear about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you want it, you, you, you hear messages on it, you go to church, you, you get home, and something supernatural happens. Oh, man. I, I, friends pray at church, they gather around, nothing happened, I felt discouraged, I went home. I started to read a book on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I was just so tired. I fell asleep on the couch, and in, in, in this, I had a dream. Uh, well, I think it's a dream, um, but it was just right in front of me, and I was walking along, and I had two ways to go in a road, to the right where it turned into brambles and thickets, or to the left, and I see a sign that says Messiah. <laughs> so I go to the left, and there's a, a big white uh, three-story building in front of me, beautiful and I open the door, there's no room but just stairs. And I get to the second floor, and there's no rooms, just stairs. And I get to the third floor, and there's 20-foot doors standing in front of me with an angel in front of those doors. And I know that God is behind there, and I have to get from this place behind those doors to see God. And I tell the angel, please move, and he says no. I said, I need to get there, and he says no. And the last time I go, I know that God is in there, and he looks at me and he goes, if you go in there, you will die. And I just looked at him and I said, I don't care. I want him. And he smiled this big smile and stepped out of the way. And I began to pull the door open and it was so thick. And finally, a sliver of light shot from the other room through the door, hit me in the chest. I fell backwards, fell back onto my couch, literally rolled on my couch, rolled off the floor. And as I did, I woke up speaking in tongues. Well, that's about as dramatic as Pentecost. <laughs> <laughs> and then I realized when I read later, it says he was the baptizer. I thought, well, he's the one that did it. He certainly was. Now, your life was changed forever when you had an open vision. Tell me about it. Yeah. Um, being in pain with my father, uh, it was, I, I, I would I knew from the Lord I was supposed to honor him, as it says, to honor your parents. So I would honor him, but I had no love for him. And uh, I, had, I had an hour off of work, worked across the street, came home, grabbed a bologna sandwich, and stood in the living room and listened to worship music. I was going to eat my sandwich, listen to worship music, and go back to work. And while I'm standing there, suddenly my house goes away, and I'm on a hillside, standing on a hillside. And people are gathering because they said Jesus is coming. So I follow them up to the top of this hill, and suddenly he begins to descend in the middle of a circle. And he begins to look around at each person. And I'm thinking, oh, he's going to look at me, and he's going to say, what are you doing here? You shouldn't be here. And I'm just convinced, and I'm full of shame. I, I haven't yet experienced the affection of God. I got saved because I felt I had to do it. And suddenly he pulls around, and he looks at me, and he says to me, I love you with a wild love. And all I knew about was church. You had to do things decently and in order. So I said to him, a wild's not good. 
And he looked at me and goes, oh, yes, it is. Wild means that no man can tame my love for you. It's uncontrolled by man. I love you. And then shortly thereafter, he just held me. He held me and I, I he held me. I was never held before by my dad. And I had this, this man holding me, looking at me face to face. And he's pouring his affection into me. And I, I, I kept dropping my head. He kept lifting it up. He goes, look at my face. And I was too ashamed, and he just, he just looked at me and goes, listen, for, for what you need in your heart and for what you're called to do, you need to know my affection for you. And I said, okay, okay, I get it. And he put my head on his chest, put his arms around me, and just began to rock me like a, like a daddy with his little baby. And suddenly a ball of fire shot from his heart, hit my heart, and I fell backwards into my room. There's my bologna sandwich on the floor. I walked over to my bed, weeping. I went onto my bed and began to weep in my pillow. And I realized, oh, no, I've got to go back to work. And I, and I, I picked my pillow up, and it was dripping. And I looked out on my mattress, and I remember putting my hand on my mattress, and bubbles came up. And 20 years of pain, 20 years of hate and disgust of my dad, it was delivered for me because of the love of God. And everything changed in my heart, and I began a, a change of love and moving towards my father to have reconciliation beyond forgiveness. And, and you know what I think is so amazing? You weren't sure what was happening to you. So when you were on the hill, you grab a piece of grass, and you actually wanted to taste it to make sure it wasn't a vision, that it was real? <laughs> Did you really do that? I, I, yeah, I, I heard all these people talking about visions and things, and it's like, Suddenly I'm there, and I said to myself, is this real? I even said that, and I turned and said, is this real? And they looked at me and said, what? And I reached down, and I grabbed a piece of grass, and I put this big wad of grass in my mouth, started to chew it, and it was disgusting because it was grass, and there was dirt, and I spit it out, and I go, okay, this is real. And I also pinched myself. I pinched myself in the wrist, and I noticed later on that day that I had this big red mark on my left wrist where I had pinched myself to see if, this was real. I'd never even noticed it until later in the day. What about the grass? Well, <laughs> that's kind of a funny thing because somebody at work said, hey, what, you got you got something green in your mouth. And they thought that I just had salad or something, and I, I just looked in the mirror, and it was grass. How do you have grass in your mouth if it's a vision? <laughs> well, that, <laughs> that's where, it, at that point in time, I didn't have language for those kinds of things. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm going to tell you what. When we come back, I, I want to find out what God did between you and your dad, because short of God, there was no possibility ever, even if you wanted it, to have a reconciliation. But uh, the, 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 we have put together the wild love package. This wild love of God package has two books and a CD that you will be amazed. In fact, it's called The Amazing Benefits of Living Loved. And he shows how science is catching up with Jesus. When you're operating in love, Everything about you is better. You're physically better. You're spiritually better. You're emotionally better. And science is proving this. But it's a how-to book. When you read these two books, and then there's a bookmark with his favorite scriptures on love. But when you read these two books, 
Give me the definition of wild love you just gave me a minute ago, Chris. Oh, it's a love that no man can contain God's affection for us. Okay, you... Uncontrolled. You have it, but can everyone else have it? Oh, that's what it's for. He's not a respecter of persons. He can't wait for people. He doesn't just want them. I mean, salvation, that is, that is awesome. But he wants to be known. He wants to be known. All right, I'm going to promise you this. It's going to totally transform your life, your walk with God, your, your, if you're married, your marriage, your relationship with, with fellow students, with employees. Everything about you is going to change. For an investment of $45, and any profits we make or any extra you put in will be poured into Jewish ministry, and I am overwhelmed with the love of God for Jewish people. He is removing the spiritual scales, and this is the most exciting time to be alive. When we come back, I want to hear about what I consider one of them—look— if there could be reconciliation between Chris and his dad being so abused, his whole body is filled with welts, uh, he's knocked across the room. I mean, and that's his lifestyle. If they can have reconciliation, anyone can have reconciliation. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697, one 9-7. Sid Roth here with Chris Dupre. And uh, Chris, you shared on yesterday's broadcast just an amazing childhood uh, where y- your father was a war hero, but he had PTSD and he, he, and, uh, he, he took it out on you. And you had welts all over your body. And you didn't know what it was like to come to your home and not be fearful. Fear was uh, your middle name. Uh, and, and so uh, you finally uh, got removed from the situation. Your mom figured out what was happening, left your dad. Uh, but uh, you had an experience with the wild love of God. And that's actually what God called it, the wild love and it's an experience that everyone is meant to have. And then as you started reading the book of the Bible, uh, everywhere you saw what Jesus was doing, you saw him looking at you. What do you mean by that? Well, it, it said place after place that he had compassion on them or, or he saw them in this way. And, and my reading of the Bible to start out. I'll just be honest. I, I, I didn't like school. Suddenly I'm a Christian. I, I have to read this thing. And suddenly I came face to face with him and I realized the, the, the personhood of Jesus. And I saw through his eyes as I began to read and the word of God just exploded. And in every situation that he brought healing or, or he brought comfort or the little children came to him, I realized how accessible he is. I realized how real he was. And every parable and every, every action became very personal. It wasn't a 2,000-year-old story. I was in the middle of it, and I felt the emotion. Yeah, give me one example. Oh, the, the prodigal, Luke 15, prodigal son is coming home, and he, he sees father running. And, and I, I love reading about Jewish customs and culture, and, and men don't run. Children run. Women run. Servants ran. 
But the only time men ran was when they girded their loins and went to battle. So the prodigal son, and, and I was reading that and reading history, and the prodigal son sees his father running, he could well think that that man's coming to kill me because he's going to battle. Uh, but the son doesn't move. Uh, he just says, in my brain, this is what I'm thinking when I'm reading it, the son would rather die with his father than go back to his old life. And yet he is so surprised because he thinks he knows, and yet what love trumps culture. And he's overwhelmed by the father's love. And he says he, he fell on his neck and kissed him. And the word kissed is actually a present progressive ver verb. It means he kissed and kissed and kissed and kissed. I think he kissed away every horrible drunken night and every every moment of whoredom and whatever waste he went away, it was kissed away by his father. That's how I found myself in the middle of these stories. And, and then... So so you saw yourself as the prodigal son. You saw yourself in every instance and in how Jesus treated that person is how Jesus wants to treat you. Absolutely. And, but then I saw myself later on as, as the older brother. I began to learn some things, and I, I remember looking down my nose at a couple people that didn't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I just thought that their theology, whatever it was, and... Suddenly, uh, I found myself as the judgmental older brother, and the father coming and says, "Come and rejoice! You don't, you don't, you've been with me all this time, but you don't really know me." And it was just uh, a, a very surreal time for me to see God unveil His Word over and over and over again and make it real personal. Okay, and then uh, a friend right after that. And by the way, I have to ask you this question. You said fire from Jesus went inside of you? Explain that. Well, when he was holding me, uh, in, in, when we talked about that, and I don't know what it was, was it an open vision, was it a, whatever it was, he was, he was holding me, and it was a ball of fire. It was about the size of, uh, of a baseball. Um, and it, I, I felt it, but there was light all around. I felt it leave his chest and and was thrust into my chest. And it, it, in terms of, okay, exactly what happened uh, physiologically, I, I don't know. I do know from that moment, uh, that moment that that, and I think it was the revelation of the love of God, when that hit me, um, there's power in it. God is love. It's, it's, not, it's not a powerless word. It's the most powerful word in the entire universe. And when it hit me, it changed uh, how I view everything. Therefore, it changed how I lived every day. And then a friend brings up your father, and for the first time, your stomach didn't churn, and you knew something was different. Oh, absolutely. People, it, it might have been your father's day, or it could have been near his birth, whatever it was. And, and I remember someone saying, hey, you're going to go see your dad. And every time someone would say something like that, they, they knew about my dad. They'd met my dad. You know he was he was polite with them, but they knew that they knew the history. And when they said you're going to go see your dad, normally my stomach would turn, and I'd literally almost want to get sick. And I remember there was just peace, uh, and I was amazed. And I, I said, "Yeah, I am." And suddenly I I began to think about his his stint as a prisoner of war. I had never put the two together. Uh, you know, Jesus came into a city and said he had compassion, and following compassion is the power of God. It always happens. And so I just knew that, that I had been touched, and in return, God's compassion 
an understanding of my dad finally hit me, and I began to go on a journey uh, just to find out who my dad really was. July 4th, 1982, family is gathered. You're out in the garden with your dad. He's showing off his garden to you, and all of a sudden, the presence of God comes on you. What happened? Yeah. Uh, he, he had told me before that I was going to forgive my father face-to-face, which I didn't want to do. I'd forgiven him in my heart, and and suddenly, as, I, as I'm getting there to his house, he says, today's the day, uh, and I'm gonna, he's going to be alone and, and do it then. Now, there's 50, I got 40 first cousins. There's tons of people over there uh, at this July 4th picnic, and I'm, I, I don't know how I'm going to be able to spend alone time. And I walk out, and my dad's alone by the garden, and the Lord says, go. So I, I just stood there, and he's telling me about his garden, and I said, Dad, can I talk to you for a minute? He goes, sure. And I said, uh, it's about when I was young and you lived with us. And he got very quiet, and then his tone changed, and he goes, what? And I just thought, oh, no, here we go. And I I didn't know what to say. I hadn't rehearsed anything. And I, instead of going through a list of ways he'd hurt me, I just put my head down. I said, Dad, I just want to tell you that I love you, and I forgive you for anything that happened. And he said nothing. I was waiting for, forgive you for what? What did I do? I, he didn't say a word. And suddenly the Lord just said, put your arm around your father. And in my brain, I'm thinking, I, I don't want to touch my dad. Uh, and if he gets mad, my arms around him, I can't protect myself. I just, Lord, I just don't think that's a really great idea. And it's still quiet. He's not saying a word. And the Lord said very clearly in no uncertain terms, put your arm around your father. Why didn't you want to do that? Oh, a couple reasons. Number one, I didn't want to touch him in a personal way. I always shook his hand, keeping my hand extended as far as I could. Um, I was respectful, but I didn't want to be personal, uh, and, and I didn't want to touch him that closely. And the second thing is that the minute I lift my right arm up, I'm all exposed, and if he got mad, he could take me with an elbow or what I'm literally, I was thinking defensively. (laughs) So you decide you're in too deep. You're going to follow God. You put you, you touch him. And what happens? Well, the second my, my hand touched his right shoulder, he bent over and began to weep uncontrollably. I'd never, ever seen, I'd never seen a man cry like that, let alone my father weeping uncontrollably. And he's weeping and weeping and crying, and he's losing strength, and I'm holding him up, and he's starting to fall down. And then he kind of realizes that he's going to fall, so he reaches out his left arm, and he puts it around my waist to hold himself up. And the second his arm hit my waist, I began to weep uncontrollably, and the two of us were bending over and weeping nonstop. Uh, And the, the bizarre thing was that his backyard was connected to three other backyards, and they're all having picnics, and they're all just watching two grown men cry like babies. And I didn't even care. And we just cried and cried. What, what, did, what did you feel? What did you feel when you were crying? <laughs> I, number one, I didn't know why I was crying. Um, but I, I knew that, that something was going on between us uh, betw- be, uh, because of whatever God was doing. And he'd already... I'd already had a crying time after seeing him face to face, and God had already released so much from that time. So I knew 
as I was crying, I knew that God works through tears. I'm not one to cry easily. So when it happened, all I know, all I knew at the time was God's doing something. I don't know what it is, but it's between us, and this is going to change our lives. Now, you went to a retreat. You get back. You happen to just see your father. At this retreat, uh, they talked about give one another a holy kiss. So you, you did this several times at the retreat. So without even thinking, you see your dad and you kiss him on the cheek. Uh, what happened? <laughs> I know. I'd... I mean, did you do this because you really wanted to kiss him? Or what, how did that even happen? Well, he, he called, wanted me to stop on the way home after this retreat to watch Michael Jordan play basketball. He loved Jordan and liked it when I was in the room watching him. So I stopped at the house and I opened he opened the door and and after the time in the garden we we had we'd hugged each other but you know it, it still was kind of a distance and I after a week of kissing people over and over it, I didn't even think about it I, I opened the door went into his arms and kissed him on the cheek and he took me by the shoulders and pushed me back he goes what is that I said oh dad I, I'm I'm sorry uh, I just spent a week with a retreat and everybody kisses. I mean, the first day I got there, a guy named Brian kissed me on the cheek. <laughs> and he goes, well, that's, I like that. And he took my face and kissed me on the cheek. And he goes, kiss me again. So I kissed him again. He goes, let's do this every time we meet each other. Huh. And I realized what God had done. What a transformation. That is. What a transformation. Oh. He, he wanted to kiss his boy. Matter of fact, one time I I was coming over to the house after church, told him when I'd be there, but church went late, and and so I I, I get finally get to the house I'm about half hour forty five minutes late, and my father's there, and I I see the the blinds on the window are up, and when a car goes by and I pull in the driveway, the blinds go down. My father comes out, he pulls me out of the car, hugs me and kisses me and tells my wife, kids, you guys stay there. Uh, I'm going to come around, and I want to hug and kiss you all. And my dad turned to me and goes, uh, my father had remarried by this time. He actually married a, a wonderful Christian woman. And he said, Marion's in the kitchen waiting for you, and you need to talk to her. I don't know about what. And I ran to the kitchen, and she looked at me, and she goes, thank God you're here. I said, well, why is that? She goes, your father has been standing by the window for 45 minutes. I finally went out, and I said, Dave, what are you doing standing by the window? He said, I'm waiting for my son to arrive because I cannot wait to kiss him. That's how deep this thing went in my father's heart. So one day your father's going to the hospital for exploratory surgery. You go there uh, just to give him some support. And tell me about while they're wheeling him into the surgery, what transpired? Uh, I had worked there before and they let me my father down so I brought him down to what's called the holding room and uh, he was down there and Marion is he's got this it's in a stretcher and the sides of the stretcher up and all the doctors are standing around his stretcher his wife Marion is by his head and, and they say it's it's time to time to let your father go to surgery now um, say goodbye to Mr. Brain so she leaned down and said goodbye but uh, she didn't move so I couldn't come around to where the open space was so I leaned over the, the stretcher side and shook his hand and and he goes, we don't shake hands. We don't just shake hands. And I just realized, no, we don't. We've been kissing for 10 years. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, no, in front of the doctors. And he literally pulls me into the stretcher. I had one leg dangling over with my toe on the ground. 
and he takes my head and begins to kiss my cheeks over and over and over again. And he turns my head towards the doctors and he says, this is my son. I love him. He's great. And then they began to wheel him away and, and my dad screamed out, stop. And they said, what's wrong, Mr. Dupre? And he said, I can't see my son. Turn the stretcher around. So they turned the stretcher around and they backed him towards the elevator. And he began to blow kisses and he, he pretended to pull his heart out for me and throw it at me. And and then he kissed his fingertips. He kissed his uh, his index fingers and, and made it, his hand look like a, a, a gun and began to, to shoot kiss bullets at me. And... The, the, the girls, the, the nurses are crying because they haven't ever seen, she said, I've never seen this kind of affection. And I said, you have no idea the story behind this. And I began to shoot him and he began to shoot me and we just loved on each other all the way to the elevator and they opened the elevator and they, it, they brought him in and the door closed and as the door closed, he moved with the door so he could see me until the last final second and then kissed his thumb and put it up in the air and said, I love you. And the door closed at that moment. You didn't know it, but that would be the last time you would ever see him because he died during that surgery. But what? I mean, I, I think that has got to be a memory that's going to last you the rest of your life, what you just described. It is seared into my brain. And, uh, you know, if there were other people there to, <laughs> to, to record it and to say that really happened and, and Two, two nurses that were there that, that came to me right after the elevator closed, they, they just ran right to me and they said, we've been here for years. We have never, ever seen a display of love between a father and a son. And, and I just said, you know, you have no idea the history that we have. And to be honest with you, I've never seen that display. And part of me was like, I wonder if my father knew that something was going to happen and he just wanted to make sure one last time that his boy knew how much his papa loved him. Uh, you know, my thought is, no, he didn't know. That was just his, the love of God was so strong because the love of God knew, he didn't know. And that was the love of God reacting in, its, in total purity. Oh, I like that, Sid, I like that. Yeah, it was. It was just it was just leaking out of him and he could not contain it. He didn't care what doctors or nurses were around. He was going to hug and kiss his son and do silly motions and pull his heart out for me. Um and it is in my heart and my memory. I have this image of a loving, smiling, I'm proud of you. You're my boy and I will tell the world. And I know that's not just my earthly father that says that. And and I realize that that God gave me an image of his heart. We're created in his image, and suddenly I saw the image of his affection for me on a whole nother level. You made a statement that we cannot love God any more than the revelation we have of God's love for us. Uh, say it in your words. Well, I, I, for me, it comes in First John 4, where it says... Uh, we love God because he first loved us. And people look at that chronologically. That, oh, yeah, 2,000 years ago, Jesus died for me, so I love him. And But I don't believe it's chronological. I believe that looking at the text and looking at it, it's, it's to the level, to the extent we know we're loved, we love. And so I have the ability to love to the extent I know I'm loved. 
And, and some people have a hard time. Well, how do I grow in love? How do I grow in love? I want to love God more. I said, well, stop for a second and receive it. To the to the to the measure that you receive, you can give. You know what? I want to talk about that uh, after the break. But I challenge everyone that's listening to me right now that you get the Wild Love of God package, which includes Chris's two books, a bookmark, and a CD of the amazing benefits of living loved. And I'm going to tell you something. This is your whole purpose. When you finish this life, will you be able to say, I learned to love? If not, you've missed the purpose of your life. We're making the Wild Love of God package available for an investment of $45. Investment, why? Because profits or anything extra you put in is poured into Jewish ministry, and things are happening so quickly. This, uh, You know, the Jewish Express, that's the train God showed me. It is ready to roll. The tracks are being laid throughout the world. The devil's going wild with anti-Semitism, but God is going wild with his wild uh, love for the Jewish people, and we're going to see a major, major revival among Jewish people, and that— Jewish Express is going to be filled with Jews that are going to fulfill their original destiny, which is to proclaim the gospel to the four corners of the earth. And uh, when you give to this ministry, that's what you're investing in. Be right back. Call our order only line 1-800-447-2697. Nine seven. Sid Roth here with Chris Dupre, and a lot of you don't know this, but one of my favorite worship songs, in fact, uh, my friend Paul Wilbur does it, uh, is called Dance With Me. And I just found out who wrote the song Dance With Me, Chris Dupre, my guest today. Now, Chris, how, have you written a lot of worship songs and, and produced them? Oh yeah, yeah. I've been. As a matter of fact, I got saved uh, right into a world of, of worship. That was the priority of our church, and I just began writing songs right away. And that was oh forty, almost forty two years ago. And so I've written a, a lot of songs and have a number of CDs. And and I I love people connecting with their father. I, I love watching that transaction take place. But that's what happens with the, you realize how supernatural that song is, Chris. Oh, it it came out of my daughter. Uh, I was I was singing an old David Ruth song. We will dance on the streets that are golden. One I love that too. Songs. Oh, I love it. And my daughter came down and began to sing with me. I was in my living room worshiping, and and then she left and ran to her room. and And I thought, oh, come back. And she came down two three minutes later in her dance white. She's been dancing since she was four. She was now 12 or 13, and she began to dance around the living room as I was playing a song about dancing on the streets that are golden. And I'm watching my daughter dance unashamed in front of her father, and the veil is floating, and I'm just thinking, this is a glorious moment. And then I, I, I realized what the song meant. On the streets that are golden, there'll be a billion people. And I said, I don't want a billion people. I just want to watch my daughter dance. And I felt the Lord tell me, that's how I feel about you. I love the multitude, but when one person says yes to dance with me, 
I rejoice. And I heard Dance With Me from his heart. And five minutes later, the song Dance With Me was written. Spontaneously, all in one capsulized song. Let's hear just a little of it right now. Come and dance with me, oh lover of my soul, to the song of all songs. Come and romance me, oh When you get the amazing benefits of Living Loved CD, where science is finally caught up with the Bible, and you find out how it's going to improve your health, it's going to improve your emotions, every part about you is going to be improved when you walk in, in love. So that's part of the Wild Love package that I can't wait to get in your hands is Chris's two books. And, and as a matter of fact, tell me uh, just uh, what our appetite, uh, because one of the guests that we've had on Messianic Vision is uh, someone that you quote as far as the scientific, uh, was it Carolyn Leaf and the scientific evidence. Uh, tell me what she found out. Well, yeah, one, of the, one thing she says, and I think it's from her book, The Science of Love, that being in love creates, literally creates a chemical reaction within you. Um, and it causes you to be physically healthier. And, and it's the same kind of area of the brain that, that drugs use to reduce pain, that the, the, what's released, the endorphins and things that are released through, through real, I'm not talking about uh, a lust situation or whatever, but being in love releases those kinds of things. And they're finding that the intense passion of love is actually an effective uh, uh, pain relief uh, remedy. And so they're beginning to include, doctors that are smart are beginning to include a prescription that adds relationship and positive relationships 
to increase uh, people uh, from having intense pain. It's there's I love this connection. I love the science of love. Now I don't know if you caught that, but any of you walking in pain, there's another pill you need to take. It's called the love pill. And by the way, only good side effects, no bad side effects from the love pill. Uh, Chris, uh, you talk about something that is so important, that we can walk in intentional acts of love. Explain that. Well, I, the word love, I'll just be honest, the word love is used so often in our, in our culture, in our world. I remember one Sunday... Uh, a kid said, hey, love you, man. Somebody else said, love you. I got about four or five love yous. And I, I find like, but there was always a pat on the back and they would walk by me quickly. So this poor girl comes up and she goes, oh, man, I love you. And I looked at her and I said, why? She goes, what? I said, why do you love me? And she had to stop and think. And then she told me. And as she told me, her eyes began to fill with tears. And I realized we have locked within us. Um, the, the power to change lives through intentionally releasing the affection and the things that we feel for each other. So I just call it, I love you because dot, 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 fill in the blank. Don't just let people know they're loved. Tell them why they're loved. Tell- uh, you know, I have to tell you that for years at churches, they say, all right, everyone stand up and uh, hug the person next to you. And I think, I don't even know that person. Exactly. What, what is going on? That's the same thing you're saying, I love you. It's, a, it's like saying hello. It doesn't have anything to do with love. It's, it's lost its power. And so what I have people love, I have people stand up. Every group I go to, everywhere I go, I surprise them. I say, I want three volunteers who come up here. And, and people are always scared. They don't want to do that. But when they come up, I, I say to the first one, what's your name? They tell me their name. And I turn to the crowd and I say, tell me why this person is so special. And then like popcorn, people just began to say, well, she's this and she's that and she does this. I love this about her. I love that about her. I love it. And every time they're in tears and they look at me and he goes, I never knew that people felt that. And people's lives are being changed because they're being intentional. Others are being intentional about letting love not just be a word, but a description of the affection of the heart that will change a life, that will change a marriage, uh, you, we kid, parents don't do it with their children. Uh, you know, love you, good night. But we need to stop. We empower our children when we tell them why we think they're special and why we love them and what we love about them. And their gifts and their callings come to the forefront. They're not just trying to hide from us. They want to come to us because they know we're safe and they know that we we see their future and we see the goodness in them. It's a powerful thing. Intentional affection will change a world. I, I, I truly believe we, there's a movement of hate that's going around in the world. I want to see a movement of intentional affection uh, because I, love is the greatest. First Corinthians says it best. Love is the greatest. Uh, well, God is love, and he that dwells in love dwells in God. So who wouldn't want to dwell in God? Uh, what kind of feedback are you getting from the people that are reading your books uh, and listening to your teaching? Are they actually able to do what you do? <laughs> the feedback I'm getting is so humbling. It's, it's hard to, to describe back because uh, I, I have wives who are calling me or writing and just saying, my husband 
gathered the family after reading your book, The Wild Love of God. My husband gathered our family together and took off all our shoes and washed our feet. And he, then she said, he kissed my feet and apologized for not being the man and not loving like he should. And so, you know, some months later, I, I checked back. She said, our house is, is totally different. I have a new husband. That I'm hearing over and over and over again, that when somebody gets the revelation of the power of love and, and, and being encouraging and being intentional with it, it literally transforms the world around you and transforms the people in that world. Uh, it's, 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 it's a humbling thing, but I, I tell you, um, it is... It is a joy. Every email that I get or every Facebook post that somebody gives about what God has done. Do people get physically healed when they start operating in this wild love? Oh, absolutely. That's one of the, you know, that's one of the things that kind of surprised me because I I thought you physically go after healing. You know, you you pray for one another, James, you you, your weaknesses, you pray for one another that you may be healed. What and and so you know, you call for the elders, etc. Well, what I'm finding is that is that the fruit of affection touches the entire body. It it doesn't just go after the soul; it touches the body. If we could harness, <laughs> you know, people are trying to harness this power and that power, solar power. This, if we could harness the power of love, direct it with intention, we would be surprised. I'm, I'm seeing people's backs heal. I'm seeing things that, that are drifting away that have been chronic problems for years and years. I, I understand even when you sang, the anointing of love comes through your voice so strong that people, a woman was 100% blind in one eye, and what happened to her? Oh, I, I just, I, I love it. I just began to sing over her about the love of God, and that, that uh, I, I literally brought my guitar over to her and sang over uh, in in talk and began to speak about God wants her to see as he sees. And I was really, uh, I wasn't even trying to go after healing, though I knew she needed to be healed. I was just praying over her, the power and the affection of God through her, that she'd see it. And suddenly she screamed, and she just screamed out, I can see. And she covered her other eye, and she said, I see perfectly. And well, there was a nice big breakout of God <laughs> joy at that moment in the conference. Um, but he, he just wants to, he, he wants to come in and change our lives. Well, I want everyone listening to us right now to get the Wild Love of God package. It's Chris's two books and the CD, The Amazing Benefits of Living Loved. This book is going to put you right in the middle of God's passionate gaze of love for you. And it'll transform you. It's going to awaken you to love verbally and intentionally. And you realize that you'll not just change your life. You're going to change the life of everyone you come in contact with. The entire package is available for investment of $45. And we will pour anything that you put above into Jewish ministry. Yivarechadunai <laughs> 
To place a credit card order for today's offer, call anytime at 1-800-447-2697. That's 1-800-447-2697. Or log on to our website at www.sidroth.org. To hear this week's interview or watch archives of our television show, It's Supernatural, visit our website at www.sidroth.org. That's www.sidroth.org. Discover how you can begin watching for free our 24-hour, 7-day-a-week TV network, ISN, the It's Supernatural Network. You can write me at Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. That's Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278.